This is the BearCast, presented by Bird Culture Ford. Bird Culture Ford has been in Waco since 1936. Ford is the number one selling truck in Texas, 43 years running. The BearCast is also presented by WellMed Medical Management and USMD Health System Dallas. Here's Craig Smoke and Grayson Grundhafer. And welcome into a brand new edition of the BearCast on Sikkim365.com. Post-Texas Tech as we join you this week. And another week where there is a lot to unpack and a lot to kind of shake your head at and a lot to wonder about when it comes to this Baylor football program. Hello, everybody. I'm Craig Smoke, Sikkim365.com, also 365 Sports Weekdays 3 to 6. Joined, as always, behind the scenes by Garrett Ross and to my left here at the table, by Director of Broadcasting for Sikkim365.com, Grayson Grunhafer. And Grayson, as we'll dive into another tough week uh, as the Bears now head into the bye week at 2-4 and four, and we'll unpack this latest loss to Texas Tech. But I guess uh, just where do we find you this week? How are you feeling today? I mean, a rough week, right? A rough weekend. Uh, a moment you felt like for Baylor to really recapture something. Right from whether it was from last year or maybe even, you know, I don't think you can go back to 2021, but at least something from last year where it's like you're turning into a decent football team coming off the momentum against UCF, and and that just did not happen. So uh, it's been a tough week in that regard, Um, but ultimately, you know, it's still football season, which is still fun, and we still have something to talk about, Um, but in general, this program just in a really tough place. Yes, it is. Uh, Now at 2-4 and overall, and they are in the bye week, uh, but as far as Big 12 play goes, now 1-2, and two, and at home, uh, of a miserable, what, 1-4 uh, and four now. Uh, at their, Yeah, 1-4 at home because they won the game in Orlando. Had to think for a second, like, dang, they've already had five home games. Yes, they've had five home games, and yes, they're 1-4 and four in those five home games. And this one, uh, most recently, you know, had a weird buildup to it. It was just kind of quiet in the grand scheme of things, especially compared to last year. I think that played into Tech's favor where they were a bit focused and just kind of locked in a lot less of the, you know, kind of, uh, I guess, talking compared to last year. And they had the blackout and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, Baylor in a similar situation with a primetime game. But you could feel there wasn't really a lot of buildup for this one. It was kind of like, yeah, let's just, you know, we're worried about ourselves. And I think to an extent Tech was as well. But they certainly had... A little bit of an underlying, you know, um, I guess, uh, underlying storyline there with, you know, what happened to them last year. Obviously wanted to get a measure of revenge. Obviously wanted to show where their program was. And I think uh, for Tech, it was a positive step forward. But let's get into, you know, for Baylor, how it was not a positive step forward, how it was yet another negative step backwards. Red Raiders now 3-3. Three and three. And two and one in conference play, and they'll be probably riding that line of making a bowl game. Um, just depends on kind of how things fall for them in the second half, but they do have to feel good, and I'm sure that was a, a great win for McGuire and a lot of those assistant coaches. But for Baylor now, at two and four and one and two in conference play, it's hard to see a postseason. It's hard to see where that's going to come from. But for right now, they get to take a little bit of a breather. And before we dive into this game. I, for one, am thankful that there's a bye week this week. I don't know about you, man, but uh, I've been saying this for a couple of days. I feel like everybody could use a little bit of a breather. Uh, as much as we love football, we don't want it to go anywhere. As you know, miserable as it might be or as down as it might be on any given weeks, we don't want football season to end already. But this has been a, a very rough, long, 
first six weeks. Would that be fair to say? Yeah, I mean, it, it couldn't have come at a better time in my eyes. I mean, you get blown out on your home field against Tech, and, and they really also need this because they're about to go on the road again to face Cincinnati. But, um, yeah, they need to regroup. A lot to work on, a lot to focus on, a lot to change, I think. Um, and who knows? We'll see what they do during the bye week. I, I still, you know, these performances that have been stacked up just have simply not been good enough. And so regrouping, kind of getting together, maybe um, trying to make some changes here and there, just get back to kind of trying to figure out who they are, honestly, is going to be really, really key this week. Because right now, I, I don't think they have any clue who they are at this moment. Yeah, that's uh, fair to say, based on what we've seen, there's not a real strong identity or direction forward, it feels like. Uh, it's just sort of one step forward, two steps back. And last week, you thought with the win in Orlando, perhaps that was the spark to something. Uh, when we were making our picks, and I'm not touting this because I got it right or anything, but I was just unconvinced that that was... That one quarter plus was going to be like the key to unlocking, but I hoped, like everybody else hoped, and I think we all felt like it could be, but we were all curious of if it would be, and well, it was a mirage. Uh, it was not uh, what it looked like it could be as far as a spark goes, and that was pretty easy to see, Grayson, as we dive into this game. On the very first drive of the game, uh, you got Saturday night. You could tell early on, not a great crowd. Um, and you know what? That was for both sides. Like, Tech had a good number of people there, but it wasn't like the the typical, like, takeover of a Texas Tech crowd, right? Like, there were fans there. They were loud, but it wasn't like they were just overwhelmingly like, yeah! And, I mean, it took them a little while, and it, not quite the, the number of people maybe you would expect as far as a takeover, but not a lot of Baylor fans there. I mean, an average amount, I guess, but certainly not what you'd expect for a Saturday night game. So, Say that to say, not as a criticism for anybody, but you can just kind of feel for both sides how this didn't have a lot of buzz coming in because of where both were coming from, and particularly the Baylor side of things because it is a rival at home on a Saturday night, and I feel like fans are just sort of, they've, they've been burned too many times now at this point. So you kind of get that feeling right away of, eh, it's kind of weird feel, semi-filled crowd, like what's this going to turn into? Well, the game kicked off, and it started off with, you know, an 11-play, 75-yard drive right out of the gates from Texas Tech, who had their scripted drive go uh, pretty much the way that you'd want it to. Took five-plus minutes off the clock, ran double-digit number plays, drove the field, a lot of Taj Brooks, Baron Morton throwing the ball around, a little Cameron Valdez sprinkled in, and in the end, it was Baron Morton to Coy Eakin, 13 yards, for a touchdown, and Texas Tech, just like that, marshes down the field on the opening kickoff, and they go up 7 to nothing. and that was not the spark or the start that you wanted on the very first drive of the game. If you were going to get what was there as far as your home field advantage all fired up, this was the exact opposite of what you wanted to do, basically, because it wasn't just a one play and kicking in the gut. This was like, let's drain the crowd like right out of the gates, mm -hmm. and that's what they did successfully, 7 nothing Red Raiders. Yeah, and I felt like these first two drives by Tech and Baylor just – to start the game were very uh, symbolic of how the whole game was going to go. Mm -hmm. And it was one team establishing the line of scrimmage and the other team not. And simply put, I, I know that there are definitely other factors in the, in this football game that we're going to talk about, but in general, that's where this game was won and lost was who was going to control in the trenches and who wasn't. And Unfortunately for Baylor, they lost both sides. They didn't win on the defense line or the offense line. And by not winning, I mean they got completely annihilated on both sides. And it really cost them. And you're exactly right. This tech drive, long drive. But again, 
Third and seven is what Baylor forced, and they gave up a one-on-one touchdown with Koi Eakin. Um, And that happened at times, too, which was actually kind of disappointing, was that Baylor did lose one-on-one battles uh, quite a few times, I felt like, in this game, which, again, not to say the cornerbacks were bad. I felt like, once again, they played pretty well, but there were one-on-one battles that were won by Tech more so than by Baylor. Yeah, no, absolutely, and the run games for both sides, the lines of scrimmage for both sides, uh, they would all be, you know, keys in this football game and things that we'll talk about as this goes along. So 11 plays, 75 yards right out of the gate, and you're sort of like, "Uh uh-oh, that's not great, but let's see how the offense responds. They had Blake Shapen back last week, and that obviously uh, resulted in a big win in Orlando, and there's another result uh, out in Lawrence, Kansas, that would be very telling as well coming out of this game. Um, but, you know, you wondered how that was going to carry over. And the Bears, uh, seven plays, 33 yards, comes to a stop as they uh, turn the ball over on downs as Blake Shapen is sacked for a, last, a loss of nine. And he would be on his back, on his stomach, on his left side, on his right side, on his face, on the back of his head. He would be uh, ragdolled and beat up and touched all night long by this Texas Tech defense and uh, this was another sign right out of the gates as this was going to be commonplace throughout the night but the Bears turn it over on downs uh, a little past um, a little past this this drive of you know hopefully they can get something together and a little bit of a hey maybe this is moving somewhere but it gets shut down pretty quickly and they turn it over on downs yeah and once again uh, we're going to talk about this multiple times I can't remember how many of these happened but Baylor not being able to get a yard was very commonplace in this football game and very disappointing. Um, there's going to be multiple that we're going to talk about. And listen, we can talk play calling. We can talk, you know, decision making. That's all fine and well. But you got to be able to get an inch or a yard on your home field. And they could not do that all night long. And saw it here. And we're going to see it plenty more times. And it flat out cost them this football game. Yep. So uh, Shapin trying to find uh, Dominic Richardson. Can't get a hold of him. So Texas Tech uh, gets the ball back. And... Uh, they proceed to punt. A little three-and-out action for the defense. So you're like, okay, at least they're stabilizing a little bit. That's going to be uh, a good sign. So it's still only 7 to nothing, and then the Bears get the ball back, and uh, they are forced to punt after just seven plays. Uh, had a penalty to start off that drive, a little bit of Dominic Richardson, had a first down to Drake Dabney, uh, but then ultimately uh, drive stalls, and they have to punt the football. Uh, Tech gets the ball back, and here's where they create their separation. Seven plays, 59 yards. Baron Morton to Baylor Cup for the first of what would be two touchdowns for the tight end. 16-yard touchdown, and it is 14 to nothing. Yeah, another third down in which they were able to score a touchdown. And that happened. That's the second drive that it's happened on. And they ran the ball well again, and Baron Morton made the pass. They got him the touchdown, and that... That was a huge thing in this game is just he made some timely throws that ended up being pretty, you know, big plays for Tech. And so you add that to their ability to run the football and you kind of knew it it was going to be tough for Baylor. This was just a terrible start. 14-0. You come into this game feeling like it's a must win and now the crowd is just completely out. Feels like it's going to be a repeat of the Texas game, which it kind of ended up being by the end of it. Um, But yeah, just really tough sight, I think. So 14 nothing. Uh, Baylor gets the ball back, and they are forced to punt once again. Six plays, 13 yards is what you were able to scrounge up as eventually it results in Blake Shapin uh, dropping back. He gets sacked, fumbles the football, and Baylor recovers as uh, 
Barrington brother jumps on it at around the Baylor 19, but at this point, like, field position's totally against them. They're starting every drive, like, inside their own 20. Tech's starting every drive at, like, at worst, like, their own 45 or 40-yard line. I mean, they just lived at, at midfield on every one of their opening drives, and Baylor was pinned back. So, uh, Shapin gets rocked, uh, fumbles the football. He'd have three fumbles on the night, but I think only lost the one. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that was because he was getting hit constantly uh, all night long. So they recover the ball, but then are forced to punt. And uh, that was the first quarter for you, 14 to nothing, and uh, not a lot going right. And so Tech would take that ball um, and that drive, and they would move it again. Seven plays, 59 yards as uh, they would get uh, – excuse me, am I jumping ahead already? Wait a second here. Where did I go? No, they moved. Okay, they moved, and then they fumbled the football and gave it right back uh, on just three plays. Taj Brooks, uh, fumble at midfield. Garmin Randolph gets the recovery. So, boom, a little bit of a spark there for the Baylor defense. They make a big play at midfield, and they actually turn it into some points as uh, they drive it down, aren't able to punch it into the end zone um, as they get inside the 20-yard line. Um, But Isaiah Hankins does make the uh, the 33-yard field goal. 33-year-old field goal would be something. (laughs) 33-yard field goal on 4th and 11, so it is 14-3. So they take the turnover. They turn it into some points. Kind of need a touchdown here, if we're being honest. But, hey, it's it's better than nothing. It's 14-3. to three. Are you feeling any better at this stage? No, because it felt like a drive where you need a touchdown. Yeah. And, but how many mm. – th- this is where it starts getting tough. How many times have we said that about this Baylor team? Where uh, it's like, all year. That drive needed to be a touchdown. But, of course, it's not a touchdown because that's just how it's been all year with this team in the red zone, with this team. When they get momentum – it just stalls so quickly, whether it's not converting a third down or a fourth down or, you know, missing a field goal, missing an open receiver, missing an open running lane, you know, kick having to kick field goals that are within, you know, 35 yards. It's not ideal. Um, so, yeah, I mean, 14-3, okay, cool. You're on the scoreboard. Maybe you're able to, to do something, but it just really felt like that was a drive where you need a touchdown. So uh, Bears down 14-3. They will force another punt on the following drive uh, as Texas Tech – um, not able to get anything going. Uh, Baylor gets the ball back, 10 plays, 28 yards, uh, as they are scrounging to get every yard possible. It's like it's second and eight. It's third and eight. It's first and 10. It's second and eight. It's third and 17. It's first and 10. It's second and eight. It's third and eight. It's fourth and one. It's, I mean, it, it seemed like they were always in third and long or situations like that. Um, but ultimately, fourth down and one, Dominic Richardson stuffed. Uh, loses yardage on the fourth down and short play uh, at the around the Baylor uh, 40-yard line or so, give or take a yard or two there, and they get stuffed and they turn the ball over on downs. Yep, and this is one of many can't get one yard. And you can't get one yard, you don't deserve to win a football game. I, I bet just about any coaching staff in the country will agree with that. If you can't get a yard, on, especially on your home field, you don't deserve to win the game. And Baylor couldn't do that. Basically the entire game. They couldn't get one yard, and it happened right here. And once again, this felt like an opportunity for Baylor to go down the field. If you score a touchdown, you feel pretty good about where you are. Um, You're playing better. You're getting some confidence, but you get stuffed, and the momentum shifts again. So we're off in the second quarter, and uh, Texas Tech will turn it over on downs. Is there a little bit of exchange here? Baylor defense is at least bowing up a little bit. They get a turnover. They get a stop on downs. Uh, But Marin Morton... Uh, looking for Xavier White, gets it down uh, to uh, 
Gets it down into to territory, but uh, it's the Baylor defense that bows up once again, and they're able to get a stop on downs as Cameron Valdez uh, only gets a yard. Get Garmin Randolph brings him down. They reviewed the first down, and it uphol- uh, it was overturned, excuse me. They'd given Tech the first down, but they review it, and turns out that he was stopped just short. So again, the Baylor defense stepping up and making a play, and Garmin Randolph in on that one, so a little bit of another opportunity uh, here for the Baylor defense. And I know that Dave Aranda would ruffle some feathers at the end of the game when he said that the defense played pretty well. But as you can kind of tell from here, like they're getting stops. Like they're down 14-3, to three and all, but they're getting stops and giving the ball back to their offense. And it's just that their offense can't do anything with the football. And as the game drags on, it gets worse and worse and worse because it's just compounding. But I thought that they at least played okay enough to at least keep you in this football game. Yeah, that was a heck of a play by Garmin, yeah. for sure, coming off the edge there. It was one of those weird things where in football, it's unlike any other sport where no one was set for Baylor on this play. They're all running around, and Tech hands the ball off, and it's like, dude, if Tech would have just ran a QB sneak, they probably would have gotten like 10 yards, but they tried to hand the ball off, and Garmin just came free, made a great play. But in general, you're exactly right in this first half. Um, The defense played well enough for them to be in this football game. But the problem was the inability to convert on fourth down was just, it was glaring in this first half. If you're able to convert those two fourth downs you don't get or convert one of them, This is probably a 14-10 or 14-6 game, and you're feeling a lot better as you get closer to halftime. So they got the big fumble recovery. It's still just 14-3 at that point. You can tell Tech's better, but you at least know that they're hanging around, and they're giving themselves a chance to be in this football game. So they get the ball back, and then they proceed to fumble the ball back uh, to Texas Tech. Blake Shapin sacked, fumbles the ball, Texas Tech recovers at the Baylor 26-yard line. So just like that, you've got a big stop, and now you've given it to them right on the doorstep, right before halftime, and this he, is just yeah. like, of course, this is what he happened. He got blown up yeah, on he did. this play. I mean, just, Blake Shapin was not the problem this week. He got yeah. just – I mean, you're not going to run the ball and you're not going to pass protect? Like, if you're not going to do either, like, what, what's the point? And, I mean, he got just – on this play by Steve Linton, he got demolished, fumbled the football. Yeah, and you're exactly right. Now, you just had a great – defense play and then you turn around and ride zero momentum going into halftime and in fact you give the ball uh, right back to them uh, you know as there's plenty of time left for Texas Tech especially where they were positioned recovering the fumble they're right there at like the 26 yard line so you not only give them the ball back after you're unable to do anything with it yourself but you give it to them right on your own doorstep so you know what's the damage level going to be well the defense forces a field goal uh, it's good 37 yarder from uh, Garcia, Texas Tech is up 17-3. to And uh, Baylor had like one play runoff before the, the halftime buzzer, but that was it. You gave him a field goal right there at the end of the half, so it's 17-3, to and it still was, could have been far worse than it was at this point. Could have been way better as well, but where did you think about you know where they found themselves at the midway point here? I'm just kind of tired of sitting there at halftime and thinking, and, and I know a lot of people aren't going to agree with this, but just looking at the box score, looking at how they played, looking at just kind of like how the game was trending, if you just flip a couple plays, it felt like Baylor was very much in this football game at this point. You know, that's going to change as we get further along, but it just simply put was Tech converted two third downs for touchdowns and Baylor couldn't convert fourth and one twice, right? Two times? Yeah, twice in this game. And and you gave up a fumble, which gave them three points. It, it just was one of those things where it's happened multiple times this year where you're sitting there at halftime going, wow, Baylor really just did not take advantage of at all of their opportunities. 
No, they did not. So, uh, halftime's over with. What are we going to see there in the second half? Uh, Bears get the ball to start the second half. There's at least that. Look, again, you can make it 17-10. to 10, Makes it a, a game at least. Bears go seven plays, 49 yards. Get all the way down to the Texas Tech 35-yard line. Decide to go for it on fourth down and one. And Blake Shapin gets stuffed. Uh, turnover again on downs as they can't pick up a single yard. And Texas Tech takes over uh, just like that. So, boom, right out of the gates, you get into their territory, can't do anything with it. Not only can't do anything with it, can't come away with any points because you turn the ball back over to Texas Tech. Yeah, and this was the most damning fourth down of the game, in my opinion. Like, you had a couple where you pitched the ball. You had a couple where, you know, they're creating penetration. But this was, uh, not joking, they needed an inch to get this first down. It it literally, you looked at the yellow line, it was like on top of the, the blue, like right next to the blue line. And Shapin takes this snap, and immediately the offensive line is like a yard pushback. They couldn't even just get an inch forward to allow him to even go over the top. Shapin gets just crushed backwards, falls down. They're not even close to getting it. It was, um, again, just out-physicaled, out-hustled, out-just worked, honestly. And that one was just really, really tough to see because, again— in past years under Aranda, that is one of the easiest first down. Like, that is automatic first down on a QB sneak like that behind your uh, center and guards, and this was not even close to that. Yeah, it was uh, not a revi- reliable, violent offense by any means, and uh, really hasn't been a good part of the year, but Texas Tech was just way more physical, way stronger, and um, I guess that was just really alarming to see. Even though they've got a little bit of an older team over there, and that's, you know, a seasoned roster, it's still not to the point where you'd expect them to just dominate the way that they did up front. That's what was just so alarming is like, golly, like this is just not even close to what it should be. And I said it uh, in a couple of different things. And, uh, you know, I want to make clear, I'm sure some fan will still hear this the way that they want to. Like Texas Tech's a good football team. They're a fine football team. They have a good chance to make a bowl game. I think they're favored in four of their last six. So that would put them in a bowl game. They just need three wins. But they're very mid. Like, they're a mid-football team, you know, and they have some areas that are better than others, but they're just, they're a good football, they're fine. They're fine, and, and you know, I, I don't want to say that they're any more than that because I don't think that they are just yet. They have the, the potential to be, but they're fine, and that fine football team just beat the mess out of Baylor in so many ways, and that's what is just like, whoa, like, coming out of that game, it's one thing to lose to Tech. That's totally fine. Um, you respect their coaches and all of that, but like to lose in the fashion that they did and to just get out muscled the way that they did was just very concerning. So um, Texas Tech turns right around and throws a pick on the very next play. Baron Morton, one play. Caden Jenkins with his second interception in as many weeks. You got the ball uh, at the uh, Baylor twenty nine. So a big time interception for. Yeah, Caden Jenkins, who continues to be a playmaker, and boom, gives them a spark. And look, it's still only seventeen to three at this point. Like, there's still a lot of football left to play, um, but a familiar ending to another drive as the Bears will go ten plays, fifty six yards, in over five minutes, and turn it over on downs once again. As on fourth and six at the Texas Tech fifteen yard line, needing to, I guess, feel like you have to score a touchdown and you need a big conversion. Blake Shapin steps back to pass, uh, can't connect with Hal Presley, and the Bears turn it over on downs once again. This is one where I, like, 
you go back and you accumulate going forward on fourth down. And so you just kind of get to a point where it just feels like you're falling so far behind on the scoreboard that you have to go for it. But I, and I know, you know, six might not feel like a lot, but it cuts you within a two score game a, a little bit like a field goal and then going for two. Um, or yeah, I would have cut to 11. So yeah, a two point conversion touchdown and a, and a uh, field goal. But I felt like they need to take the points here. I know that it's you're at the Tech 15. I understand that, but you haven't been able to get a fourth down all game. And I know you threw the ball here, and it was broken up. But I felt like they needed some points. They, they just these last two drives, you couldn't get an inch. Then you get a turnover, a big play. Like you got to get some points out of it. And they decide not to. I understand the call. I just personally, when I was watching the game, I was kind of like. Maybe you just take points here. Just try to get some sort of momentum. Yeah, and, uh, you know, you set it up where Dawson Pendergrass had a big first down run, and then you had first and 10, and you went rush for zero, um, gain of four, uh, passing complete, passing complete. Uh, So, yeah, just completely fizzled out there uh, deep in Texas Tech territory, and this is where they would basically just put a dagger in. After all this back and fumble and downs and all this stuff, Texas Tech – Says, all right, enough of this. We're going to go ahead and blow this one open. Uh, 13 plays, 85-yard drive, um, and over six minutes of game clock. And uh, they eventually punctuated with uh, Baron Morton finding Baylor Cup, the tight end, for a second touchdown on the night. And it is all of a sudden 24-3 to as the third quarter comes winding to a close. And kind of see the writing on the wall at this point, even though there was still a quarter to play. Yep, third and four, seven-yard run for Taj Brooks. Third and one, three-yard run for Taj Brooks. Third and four, 24-yard completion to Miles Price, who torched them because, once again, Baylor cannot cover slot receivers. Um, And then, like you said, the touchdown to Baylor Cup to add insult to injury. A guy named Baylor scored two touchdowns Mm -hmm. in this football game. But in general, you're at 24-3. to And you're sitting there going, wow, you just, you had all these opportunities. Like you score a touchdown on that drive where you turn the ball over on downs. You kick a field goal on the other drive and you're right back in this game. And instead you're down 24 to three at this moment. I'm um, just thinking, hey, you know, you need some big plays now if you're going to even, you know, have a shot at just making this competitive and maybe not even winning it. So the Bears uh, all of a sudden see that it's the fourth quarter and they decide, hey, it's time to score points. We've only scored three points through three quarters. So let's go ahead and get into the end zone. And they go four plays and 76 yards. And uh, it is eventually Monterey Baldwin with a huge gain of 71 yards on fourth down and five. And then uh, Keetr- uh, was it uh, who got yeah, the- Keetron got the two points. Uh, yeah, excuse me. Monterey goes 71 for the touchdown. And that was the loudest uh, piercing. I-, I keep using the word piercing because that's the word that keeps coming into mind, which is how the, the screeching in a good way of the crowd who had had so little to cheer for at that point. And here's this huge play by Monterey, and everybody's suddenly alive once again and feeling pretty good about, uh, you know, what's going on. Then Keyshawn Jackson with the two-point conversion, and it's 24-11 to now at that point. Um, But this would not last very long because, well, we'd get to it. Yeah, so 24-11, and I got to say, I was sitting there going, okay, so they did this against UCF. Now the crowd is somewhat in it. Maybe you're able to make some plays like you've had opportunities here in this quarter to really flip the game in the in the third quarter. You had chances to really turn the game. You were unable to take advantage, but maybe Tech's going to continue to shoot themselves in the foot a little bit. Maybe you can make some plays. Maybe the defense comes out, dials it up like they did at the end of the UCF game. I do think there was something there when you were sitting there watching the game going, okay, like... There's a chance here for them to make a little bit of a run here and maybe make things interesting. And then they did what bad teams do. 
Yep, yeah. they give up an eight-play, 65-yard drive, so their touchdown is answered by a touchdown. Taj Brooks finds the end zone, 18-yard run on third down and six, and then a two-point conversion. Taj Brooks, a three-yard run to convert, and so they answer the eight-for-eight, eight, and it's 32-11, to 11. and this one, I mean, again, it's basically writing on the wall at this point, but uh, Tech scores. Baylor would respond, another scoring drive, six plays, 59 yards, but you can see the white flag waving as they just say, all right, let's just kick the field goal here. Isaiah Hankins, 33 yards as they got all the way down to the Tech 12. Uh, but again, Blake Shapin sacked on third down as uh, it just, the offensive line, it was an embarrassing night for them. I mean, it was like their manhood got, you know, ripped out of their chest uh, by the Texas Tech defense and, and just thrown onto the table in front of the, you know, the whole country that was watching at that point. Um, it was a very bad night for the offensive line. I mean, a, a atrocious night for the offensive line. So Shapin sacked. Uh, Hankins does make the 33-yarder, so it's 32-14 to 14 at that point. Uh, they would force a three and out, so, like, if you could just bottle up whatever it is in the fourth quarter that you do, but, like, this whole game of, like, we'll turn it on at the end is just – it doesn't work. Um, so here they are. They're getting stops. They're getting – points and, and but it's like it's you can't do one quarter of things and expect to win four quarter games it's just not the way that it works but anyways they force a punt it's 32 to 14 but they can't do anything with it as uh Blake Shapin uh, looks for Keytron Jackson on fourth and three uh deep in their own territory and uh, they cannot connect, so Baylor turns it over and basically hands Texas Tech a touchdown in so many ways at the 14-yard line as it takes them three plays. Baron Morton runs it in from 10 yards out, blows it open. It's 38-14. to 14. Baylor would punt on the following drive, which was, I mean, it's, it's over already anyways, and the time and, and everything else. I mean, the game was over, but for what it's worth, Baylor would three and out on their final drive, and that was the end of the ball game as Texas Tech would run out the clock. So just an explosion of, uh, of points there for the Red Raiders to uh, seal this deal. Yeah, and Baylor should be also thanking Joey McGuire for kneeling it out because he could have easily sure, yeah. handed the ball off and gone because they weren't stopping anything at that point. That was going to be another touchdown. It would have been 46-14 to 14, um, because I believe Miles Price gave them the ball at like the Baylor 19 yes, he on did. the return. There was so. a penalty on that. The penalty on uh, Cameron Bonner, a right. personal foul. And so, yeah, you had punted back to then they got a return and a 15-yard penalty, and so they got the ball at your nine-yard line. Uh, thank you for pointing that out. And, yes, Joey McGuire, if he wanted to, could have punched that in rather easily and run it up mm-hmm. even more. But almost even worse is he kneeled it down on your home field and yeah. just like made you like it. And so, yeah, that's how the game would end would be with them uh, mercilessly uh, – or no, uh, mercifully kneeling the ball out rather than mercilessly running it in. Uh, mercifully, they would – kneel the ball out, and could have easily yeah, gotten into the 40s if they wanted to. So there's yeah. your game, 39-14, to 14, your final. Taj Brooks, 170 yards rushing, led the way. Baron Morton had a good game. Miles Price had a good game, as you mentioned. Baylor Cup had a good game. Their defense, obviously, uh, felt like they had a pretty good game uh, when all was said and done as they were able to really uh, just make – Blake Shapin's life a, a living hell, for lack of a better term. Um, and, yeah, they were they were the better team. There was no doubt about that. On the night, uh, the big things, I mean, third and fourth downs. Uh, Texas Tech, 10 of 18 on third down. Are you kidding me? Uh, one of two on fourth. Meanwhile, for the Bears, four of 15 on third down. One of six on fourth down. Um, there were some, some pretty big numbers right there was the, the efficiency and lack thereof for the Bears. And... Um, 
you know, actually a pretty okay day through the air, um, but 17 rushing yards, the total for Baylor to Texas Tech's 186. And Tech actually lost the turnover battle. They lost the penalty battle, but it didn't matter in the long run. They were still the better football team, and that showed in the final score. So, yeah, your thoughts on a, uh, a whooping on the Brazos on I mean, Saturday night. Honestly, like you pointed to the third down, fourth down efficiency. That was the difference in the game. Yeah, I, I mean, for sure. I know the score is 39 to 14. And yeah, I mean, it, it's a beatdown when you look at that. But I mean, you know, yards, they were only, they only had 20 yards less despite the fact that they couldn't run the ball at all. But in general, it's what happens on third and fourth down when you're not able to run the football. That's what happens. You go four for 15. You go one for six on fourth down. Like you're unable to get a yard. And those, like, I know a lot of people sit there and go, okay, well, you know, it it doesn't matter. They got crushed, you know, and aren't looking at the game by each drive and going, okay, well, if Baylor had gotten that fourth down, that one yard, who knows what the points would have been? Who knows how the game flow goes? Who knows if they're able to control time of possession as they only lost that by, what, eight seconds? Um, It just really restricted everything that they could do, and it put a lot of pressure on Blake Shapin and a lot of pressure on the offensive line to block a defensive line that knew all they had to do was prepare for the pass because they're not going to be able to run the ball even against standard uh, sets by Texas Tech. So I don't know what Baylor's going to be able to do going forward. It's very clear when they can't run the football, they're going to have trouble scoring unless they just start gearing this offense towards just throwing it all over the place, which truthfully they might have to do at some point um, because right now these performances, they're killing them because it's forcing them to get into these fourth and one situations and really never being able to convert them. And that's just a huge problem, and there's a lot of issues going forward for this team, but that that right there was how this game was lost. Yeah, the the third and fourth down conversion is certainly a a huge part of this game, uh, averaging .6 yards per rush. And I know sacks come into play there and everything, but, I mean, it's not like you take those away and, oh, it's they were averaging five yards per – no, I mean, the running game sucked. I mean, I'm sorry, but it did. Uh, They had had no running game. Um, They had no time to do anything. And um, just no room to do anything, and it was just a bad look uh, on offense on Saturday night, particularly the running game, because I mean, shaping through for three hundred plus yards, but it just felt it feels empty because mm-hmm. it didn't result. They scored fourteen points off a three hundred yard passing game, um, and then when you have no running game, that's what it results into. So now uh, they are two and four. They are one and two in conference play. They're at the back of the standings. Um, they're not the worst team in the league, but that can be argued. Uh, they're close to it. I mean, without that fourth quarter against UCF, they would be. Houston will get a chance to to fight them for it coming up pretty soon. Yeah, that'll be a battle for the bottom, uh, basically, is what it looks like that's shaping up to be. Uh, but I think the biggest thing now for Baylor is they get a break. They get the off week to just kind of, I guess, revisit and redo and remix and do whatever they can to try to uh, reinvigorate this football team down the second half stretch. But, um, you know, there's going to be even more challenges awaiting them. But for right now, at least, no game to preview because they do have the open week, and and I'm kind of thankful for that. I I really am because I I can't imagine how they feel, but I need a little bit of a mental break from this team, honestly. Yeah, they've been really frustrating to watch. And they they have, like we've talked about, a lot to get ready for. And they're about to have two matchups against two really, really good defenses. 
defensive fronts coming up, and they're going to have to figure out a way to either how are we going to run the football or how are we going to change the offense to the point where we can win games without having to turn around and hand the football off into a wall? And how do you manufacture points? Because going to Cincinnati and playing Iowa State seem like rather winnable games. Neither of those teams have really shown me anything that is – out of this world, but they have good defenses, and Baylor's really struggled against good defenses all year long. I mean, even against Utah, who they ran on, they still couldn't get the ball in the end zone. All right, so a lot of the stuff that we would like to delve further into, we'll get into with the questions that y'all are going to ask so that we don't repeat ourselves before we get into those, and we will need a good amount of time for the number of questions that we have, but real briefly, before that, uh, you want to touch on basketball real quick and basketball recruiting. Right, so Baylor has had two top five prospects in the 2024 class, or I guess two five-star guys. Trey Johnson, uh, who's a, a five-star prospect out of Link Academy, and then a Long Island Lutheran five-star guard, VJ Edgecombe as well. Those have been two visitors. Uh, Edgecombe visited for the Tech game, and Trey Johnson visited for the Texas game. So right now, those seem like the top two targets for Baylor in the 2024 classes. They're trying to finish out that class. They already have Jason Asamoda committed and Robert Wright. Um, so just trying to fill it out um, as best they can. They really want one of these two guys in the class, and I do feel like it's an either-or type situation. Both guys have crazy good offer lists. Both guys bring a lot to the table from a scoring standpoint. Both are right around that 6-6 mark, so good size for a wing. Um, and yeah, Scott Drew and company have done a another great job building out this 2024 class, building interest from top prospects around the country. And here's two more of them uh, who have been, they've kind of gotten there at by uh, different you know abilities and gotten there at different times. Trey Johnson's been a five-star for a really long time. VJ actually got his five-star status within the last month or so. So again, two guys that got here differently, different paths, but two guys that Baylor really, really wants. Um, Trey Johnson, Baylor's been wanting for a really long time, been recruiting him for a really long time. VJ, a summer offer who they've really kind of kicked the gears with and gotten to the point where there's a lot of interest there. So I'm curious how it plays out. They're going to have to probably make, they, these two are going to make a decision probably soon. And I think Baylor only has room for one of them. So pretty big times here. I do think Baylor will get kind of, not necessarily their choice, but they're going to get one of these two guys. And it's going to be huge for this class is VJ number six in the class and Trey number five in the class. All right. So, uh, if you're bummed about football season, basketball is less than a month away as, uh, Scott drew and the bears will be taken to the court, uh, here in what's, uh, 20, a little less than a month's time, a little less than a month's time. They'll be facing off with Auburn at Sanford Pentagon, on November the 7th. So you do have that to look forward to. But, yeah, there's also big-time recruiting going on with hoops still. On the football front, not much going on. Uh, as you kind of relate to me before the show started, not much to touch on there. Um, and, I mean, what do you expect? Uh, with the way things are going, I don't think there's going to be a lot of big recruiting news, and there's much bigger questions to answer now at this point. But we will have to touch on that at some point because that is a reality to, to what's going on. And that also plays into everything big picture wise, but yeah, basketball recruiting, they've got some fun options on the table. Let's see what they can uh, close out with. And, and the season is looming. So there is that, but um, all right, let's get some questions answered uh, through the mailbag here and, and dive a little further into what all's going on right now. 
And we'll start off with Bear 89. Is the Aranda's getting one more year with offensive shakeups coming narrative really what will materialize if the Bears don't win another game or only win one or two more? I mean, I, I just think Dave Aranda is going to get another year. That's just kind of where I'm at. I, I, I don't necessarily know why I have that specific belief outside of just, you know, you got to deal with the buyout. You got to look at the other options that are available out there. I just, I don't know that you're going to find necessarily a better option um, for the short term or even the long term, honestly. So I, I don't know if it'll just come from offensive shakeups. I think there's going to be a lot of roster shakeups, a lot of just different things that they're going to have to address. But I, I do think he's going to get another year almost regardless of what happens. This doesn't necessarily mean I think that they should do that if they get blown out the rest of the year, but I do think that that it is going to happen. Yeah, I mean, I think I lean towards that happening because I'm not sure about the buyout numbers and what all that would entail, um, but I don't have enough information to really make a super educated guess at this point, and it does feel like if you were leaning one direction, you would lean slightly towards them running it back one more time, but man... The thing about that is I just don't know how you can possibly convince people like to get excited again. I mean, what what are you going to do? In the, are you going to go get a bunch of transfers again and be like, nope, now we've got it fixed. You'll go change coordinators again. Nope, this is going to be the key because we just had a full off season of like everything's good. We got fixed. We got receivers now. We got this. We got that. And it's as bad as it's been the entire time. It's not any better in really any way that's noticeable. Um, and so it's just like – it just feels like spinning wheels, man. It feels like it's been wheel spinning for like two years now, and they are no better off than they were two years ago. I mean, it's – and so that's the part where I'm just like, how much are you just going to push this fan base away with their interest level before you're like forced to do something, and then you're going to have to like be crawling to beg them back, and you're going to have to do something that's like so exciting – to convince them to come back and believe into what you've got. So I just I just feel like the belief is at such a low level right now. But I, that doesn't mean that they have to do anything because the fans feel a certain way. I just – I'm trying to picture a whole offseason of like, let's run it back and just the utter lack of caring that so many people are going to have because they're just not excited. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, I think that – you know, you bring up a good point, and one thing that I would point out is that winning cures all of that. Of and, course. And, who, and, yes, you can say, oh, it doesn't look like they're going to win anytime soon. Okay, that's fine, but, like, many people felt like West Virginia wasn't going to win anytime soon, and West Virginia is probably going to be 5-1 and one after this week. And so look at how they had zero momentum. They looked like they were going to be terrible. And now Neil Brown has flipped things because he's changed the roster, made changes to the staff, and now they're looking like a team that is definitely going to make a bowl when they were picked 14th to start the year. I also think it's important to mention only 14 coaches have won a Power 5 conference title the last five years. Only 14 of them, and you're not getting any of those 14 outside of Dave Aranda. And so we can sit there and say, bring in someone flashy, bring in this guy, bring in that guy. Okay, well, what happens if that guy comes and goes 4-8 and eight his first year? Is that fine? What if that guy goes four and eight and then six and six? Should he be fired when Dave Randall won a Big 12 title his second year? That's where I have issues here. It's like, okay, so what does the next guy have to do to make fans happy? Is it just, oh, they win a home game against a Big 12 team? I mean, sure, that's fine. That would be a start. And that's fine. I mean, 
Baylor went on the road and beat Oklahoma last year. Well, man, like, here's the deal, man. We're talking about Aranda in a hot seat. You don't have to defend your feelings to me, and I don't have to defend mine to you because we're not making decisions today. Like, I think we're both looking at the same thing, and we're at the same point of, like, I get where you're coming from. I'm just saying from a fan, like, we're not making the decision today. They have six more games to play. But looking at where we are, I'm just finding it as valid as what you're saying is. You're right. Like, G.J. Kenny's not going to be definitely better. And all this is going to boil down to is the way they play the rest of the way mm-hmm. and the buyout. All I'm saying is how in the world are you possibly going to convince the fan base if this goes the way that it's going another off season? And I mean, I just, I don't understand where the, the, the spirit and, and the, the belief is going to be. I think you're going to be at such a low point, like having to pull teeth to get your fans excited. And that's the concerning part for like, sure. Like that's, that is, that's where yeah. a new coach would at least make it exciting and it might suck right away. But at least it would be exciting because right now you have lost all your goodwill. Every big game at home you've lost. You not only lost, you got your butts kicked the last few times. And so you look at the the one win of of like substance this year, and it was just a fourth quarter comeback. Mm-hmm. It was three quarters of getting your heads bashed in on the road, and that was like one where he could have been fired on the tarmac had the fourth quarter gone the way the first three would, and people would have been like, "Yep, deserved." But instead, they make this miracle comeback, and for at least a week, it's like, oh, God, it's fine. Okay, cool. And then what do they turn that into? They turn around and get embarrassed on their home field against their former head coaching. And, like, that's just like, how many times can you keep doing that before people are just like, I'm out? And, and that's, what I, that's what I worry about. I, I don't care what they do decision-wise. I'm just saying from that standpoint, it's like, that's going to be really hard if they don't have a much cleaner second half. So what solid offensive mind will come to Baylor in a make-or-break, do-or-die season for Aranda? I, I don't know how to answer that question because uh, I guess, you know, you're looking for, like, your Bobby Petrino or something, and, and yeah. I, don't, I don't know that that's, like, what solves anything. I, right. I mean, you're going to have to make some sort of switch, I would assume, somewhere on this staff. Like, you're not going to be able to just say, oh, yeah, let's just, like, turn around and run all of this yeah, back. Of you're going to have to make changes. I, I, you know, I don't know who you bring in, though. I mean, do you go to a spread? Maybe that's what you're talking about. I mean, I, I could give you names, but I don't think many of them are honestly that realistic or, yeah. you know, I think it would be an outside-the-box hire, and someone probably young, youthful, who can recruit and also coaches a spread-type offense would be my guess. Yeah, and and I do think you know it is concerning, as much as Jeff Grimes may be a master at this or that and get into his bag every once in a while, but like the fact that you run an offense that's predicated on being able to run the football and you cannot run the football and you can't even protect your quarterback, I mean, it's just it's like watching – Somebody just back up into a wall and, you know, like a car that's stuck and just keeps backing up and going forward and it's just like hitting the wall. Every, that's what it feels it's like. It's a horror movie. It yeah, literally it's, is. It's yeah. just, it's bad football and it's hard to watch. And that's what I mean is like, if you like next year, like, all right, well, this time they've got the, the O line. It's really, I mean, it's just, it's going to be hard for the buy in. Scotty B, the Baylor King, which position group on both offense and defense has surprised you the most in a good and worst way? I don't know that anyone has really surprised me on offense. Um, I, I mean, I guess, you know, I, I felt like Blake Shapin would be good, and I do feel like he has been good. Like, if they give him protection, he might have thrown for 400 yards against Tech, maybe even more. They just sure. couldn't protect him at all. I think he's been good. Worst way, it's definitely the offensive line for the offensive side. On defense, uh, in a good way, it's been the cornerbacks. In a bad way, it's honestly, it shifted now to the defensive line. Their manhood got challenged. And for my expectations coming into the year, um, it has been utterly disappointing to see them get 
pretty much moved anytime they've played someone that's a relevant team. Yeah, I mean, I say uh, offensively, uh, yeah, probably has to be shaping, uh, just being a better leader and all that. And, yeah, the secondary and then, yep, the the lines have been uh, a bit disappointing in terms of just, you know, expectations rolling in, whether those were fair or not. Uh, It's still disappointing to see just their level of play. So, yeah, I think we're on the same page there. Um, Scotty, appreciate the question. Enibal, would winning the next three games save Aranda's job? When they come back, it'll be at Cincinnati, then Iowa State, and Houston. Again, I, I, I just have the belief currently that he's going to keep his job. They probably need to win. I mean, I don't even know. I don't even know what the level of winning he needs to do for him to keep his job. But again, right now, I think he's going to keep it. If he wins all three of these games, I, I think he's pretty safe. Yeah, I would, I would think so. Um, but right now, that's... A, Possible one and two, uh, I would say. It's um, a possible zero oh and three. Like if possible. you're playing like you have been, oh, you might but lose. Dude, all if you're three. losing to Houston, like at home, I, I mean, come. I mean, I agree with you, but I, I'm just saying, there's nothing I've seen that tells me they're for sure not. No, I understand. I'm just games. saying, if we get to the point where they're losing to Houston at home, like I mean, I don't know how you're possibly spinning that in any kind of a way of of like, no, just trust us here. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that would obviously help to win. Winning's what matters here. So, yeah, that would that would definitely help. Uh, I don't know about saving jobs because, again, we don't know any of the status of that, if that's even in the realm of possibility or not. But, um, yeah, that would help things for sure. Bear Bucks, our recruiting rankings, the bottom tier of the Big 12 for 24. Seems we didn't do a good job evaluating our weaknesses and fixing them in the portal this year. If Aranda's allowed to keep his job, what's the hope he will fix us next year and can start trending back in the right direction? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's going to have to be very clear that he's going to have to churn the roster and that, I mean, unfairly or unfairly, you're going to have to make tough decisions on getting rid of players. Like, we've seen it all across the country, and I know that that sounds unfair, it sounds cruel, it sounds totally against person over player, but at the end of the day, you got to have players to win. And right now, you know, Baylor has players to win games in my eyes. They just haven't been able to get to the point where they actually are winning those games. But I also don't think they have the talent level that is good enough to win the Big 12. So you got to get to a point where you're closer to that. In order to do that, that's going to require getting rid of guys who aren't going to play at Baylor and finding guys who are talented through the portal, who can come in and at least add a veteran presence, maybe some leadership, which this team clearly needs, and it's been that way for two years, and guys who can actually come in and contribute. So, yeah, I think that's going to be the direction that has to go if Dave Randa does keep his job. you you got to turn the roster. I mean, you have to do something to create that excitement and that belief, you know, that I'm talking about. Uh, you know, stay status quo and, like, what everybody's going to just be like, well, we've already seen this. And so, yeah, you you'd have, absolutely have to make some changes on staff and, and on the team. But, again, you've already done that, too. You did that this offseason. And look where we are. So, Oh, man. Useless Kim degree. Jack mentioned earlier on his podcast with Garrett, Baylor fans should lower expectations. Starting to believe that's the best-case scenario going forward. Do y'all believe Baylor has the structure, resources, and buy-in from the president and board to be competitive in football going forward? If so, do you expect Baylor to turn this thing around within two years or continue to revert back to the Big 12 seller of not so long ago? So, see, I think this is where there's kind of this misconception. Expectations for Baylor are very, very high right now, and they're at a level that is, in my opinion, just completely unrealistic. Like, this this idea that Baylor should just be in the conference championships picture every single year, like they should never have a down year, 
that is really, really hard. And, and there aren't many teams that do that. Even the Blue Bloods don't do that. Like the teams with all these resources, they don't compete every year. There's only like five teams that realistically every single year either win their conference championship or they're like a game out of winning their conference championship. It's going to be hard for Baylor to get to that point. Now, I do think Baylor needs stability. Like making a bowl should be the expectation every year. Being you know, relevant should be an expectation. Not getting blown out at home by teams that are the same level as you. Yeah, that should be the expectation. But I do think that there is this mindset right now that because Dave Randa didn't win a Big 12 championship last year, because they're not, you know, good this year, that that means that you're entitled to going and getting someone and then putting this expectation that he has to win the Big 12 championship on him. That's that's just so unrealistic. And that's why I brought this up with you, Craig, a little bit earlier. It's like Dave Randall won the Big 12 championship in year two. So if you bring in a coach and he doesn't win the Big 12 championship in year two, should the fans turn on him and fire him? Like, should he just be done? Like, that? that's where I just have a real issue. And that's where I would reset the expectations is that the, this, this just simple idea that you have to win the conference championship or be in it in order to be successful at Baylor or, or in order to have the approval of the fans is ridiculous. Baylor has been achieving at a level that not many programs have been when it comes to winning conference titles, especially at the level that they're at. They've done it unlike most programs in the country, and I do think that that's kind of where the expectation should be as opposed to winning it every single year. Bear sack regarding good practice weeks translating to good playing games. Do you attribute it to poor game plans on game day or poor interpretation of to what is a good practice week by coach? Mm. You know, I I think that a lot of this is you're playing against each other, and so it's like Baylor's offense looks really good against Baylor's defense. Well, Baylor's defense hasn't been very good, and that you know what I mean. You're so you're getting ideas based on not very good performances when they actually hit the field, but maybe it's just because you're not very good. And so that's kind of been my interpretation of what has happened here. Um, And so, yeah, I do think it's the second part here. I think game plans do go into it, though. Like, the idea that you can't get a fourth and one is, is... frankly ridiculous like you you can't be going into games without having great game plans for the defense you're going to see and I don't think Baylor's had those game plans definitely didn't against Tech uh let's see Bear Sack at what point does person over player keep you from having winning players not trying to be trite but are we limiting ourselves from true dogs I don't want team problems but we can't beat dogs with choir boys I mean I understand this mindset I don't think I think people are reading too far into person over player being like the way that the way that it comes across, I understand the way it comes across. You're sitting there going, Oh, they're only taking like good people who don't, you know, who only care about academics and all these things. And that's not really what it is. It's just Baylor wants to make sure that the person that they're getting is also a good person off the field, which isn't going to lead to issues in the locker room, lead to issues outside of the program. My issue with person over player is if you're going to sit there and tell me that you're taking a bunch of good people and that you're taking a bunch of leaders, then how in the world can you have locker room issues two years in a row? That's my biggest issue is like, that's not person over player then. If you don't have any leaders in your locker room who are turning this culture around and then able to get guys motivated, like Monterey Baldwin basically you know, said that there are problems in the locker room with certain players, and, and that's, that's well, a real issue. He said that there's some people just happy to be there, and I do think that that comes into the person over player. of like They just are like, oh, well, it doesn't matter how we perform because it's all about us as people. And I do think that there's where it's like, there's a mixed message in some ways because it's like, yeah, that's true, but it's also about winning football games. Like that is also why everybody's here 
And so I, I don't think that everybody's confused by that, but I do think that the messaging gets a little bit mixed when it's like the, the person over player and then you're losing games, but it's like, oh, it's okay though because we're getting good grades and because, you know, it's like it almost feels like the players don't have to care as much about the results because the coaches care more about them as people. And that's where I think it can get confusing and, and it can get frustrating when they're losing because it's like, oh, well, it doesn't matter because it's just about us as people. You know what I mean? And that's how it can be taken, whether I, right or wrong. Right. And I, I think that's kind of what it is. That's how it can be taken, right? Because no one was saying that in 2021 when it's like molding great men, but then you're also winning the Big 12 championship. So right. it's, it just becomes hazy when you're not winning games. So, yeah, I mean, Well, I and then you get that. the effort of Monterey Baldwin saying guys are just happy to be here. And it's like, well, why would they think that way? Because... I don't think that they think that way at most places. It was because that they feel like, well, it's not as much about the results. Again, yeah. it's about us as people. So, yeah, we're losing, but, hey, I'm progressing as a young man. And, like, I don't want to dismiss that. Like, that's all great. But, yes, it does play hand-in-hand hand where you've also got to win football mm-hmm. games. Otherwise, you're just happy to be here because it's just good people. Right. The results are just a byproduct. And it's like, no, that's not how it works. Sorry, mm-hmm. that's not at all how it works. You also have to have results. Um, and so, yeah, there's there's a disconnect there. Uh, David Denny, what do you think the issue is with the offensive line? Are they not big enough, strong enough, or experienced enough to play Power 5 football? I think there's a lot of mixed bags here. I went through it in my chat this week. But essentially, I think you just have this this problem where you're playing young guys like Caden Seraki and Alvin Ebosele who shouldn't be starting yet. So I think transfers probably should come in. I think both of them can be really good in the future, but they're in year two. Offense linemen usually need at least three, maybe even four years before they're really playing at that level, except in rare instances where you have an NFL pick as a true freshman like Kelvin Banks. Then outside of that, you brought in two transfers, and I don't think those two transfers have necessarily played to the level that they're capable of, but I think part of it is that on the offensive line, when there's a few you know, holes on it, it makes everyone look terrible. And I think they're having problems with that. And then Gavin Byers, like, let's be real. Gavin has been a a depth guy for this team and he's solid, but he is not a starting offense lineman in the big 12 in my eyes. Like he's a good role guy that can come in and fill you in for some spots. But I think when you have some missing spots, some young guys that are playing and you have some holes, it forces the entire offense line to make up for it and usually leads to problems, which I think is what we're seeing. All right. We got a few minutes, but a few more questions. Uh, uh, David Denny, uh, was that okay? No, Ginger Bear. After the catastrophic first half of the season, what are y'all's updated predictions for how Baylor ends the season? I've got two and four down the stretch, so four and eight overall, and a and a quick start to the off season. Yeah, I got five and seven, so I, I don't I don't think they're making a bowl. No, I don't either. I don't I don't see the path for that right now. Uh, thank you, David Ginger. Oh, excuse me. Thank you, Ginger, for that. Uh, also asking if you were the AD and had the authority, what would you make you decide that we need to move on from Aranda after this season? What would convince you to give him one more year? Thanks for answering. Have, hope you have a relaxing bye week. You as well, Ginger. Do appreciate that. Yeah, I mean, I think I answered this, but essentially it comes down to this. You're not going to find another coach that is one at the level that Dave Aranda has and be able to bring them in, a proven someone who's proven one at the Power 5 level and won a, a Big 12 championship. You're not going to find that. And so because you're not going to find that, it's like, why would you move on from that if you don't have a replacement that's really going to move the needle as much as I think it would need to to make that change? Um, that would convince me to give him one more year. It would also need to be like he needs to be saying, I'm turning the roster even more and really going to utilize the portal to a whole nother level. Uh, in order to move on from Miranda, I think it would take a bunch of blowout losses and just continuing to look uncompetitive. And if that happens, then I think you're almost forced to move
move on. Like if you're losing to Houston, that that's just like if you go two and ten and you lose to Houston, that that's a huge red flag and a huge problem, and might convince me to move on. Well, and you're also looking at the end of last. You're looking at like a stretch where they're like two and fourteen, dude. Yeah. I mean, like, I mean, that's the thing too. It's not just now and this year. It's like they were bad last year to end the season. So we're looking at they're like two and. What, eight or nine in the last, like, ten games? I, I, mean, I would say the end of last year, like, they played the number two team in the country, had that game right there. I mean, it, like, you're play, you weren't playing bad teams. You lost to the Big 12 champ, and then you were up going into the fourth quarter against Texas. I know we can argue about the Air Force game. That was a terrible performance. But they did play the three best, three of the best teams in the conference in the year. I mean... Yeah, I mean, there's a way to always look at it to I where know. it's not as bad. Right. But, I mean, it's like at some point, like, they're two inch, But still, like, the Sam Houston game in the week two was sort of... I, you know, I know what you're saying, though. Like, it's it's not all what it appears to be. But, like, after a while, it's like you're two and ten, you're two and ten. Or you're, you're like, one and eight in your last nine. That, that's one and eight in your last nine, no matter if it was against Georgia and whoever. Like, so they just... Yeah, over time, it adds up. Uh, for me, Ginger, like if they like go like one in four or, or what it would be one in five or something, like I think you have to really look at just the state of things, and you'd have to figure out like what's the plan moving forward, what changes could you possibly make, how do you keep people invested? Like again, that's the thing I keep going back to is like, did y'all see that crowd on Saturday night, half full for a rival on a Saturday night? Like and people just don't care, yeah. Because it's an ugly brand of football that's not very exciting, and it's like pulling teeth watching this team. And like that's the part of like, yes, they could be this, and yes, it could be that. But like at some point, your fans have to still care, and um, that's the that's the most troubling thing. Is I think like how do you make sure that they do, and how do you maintain that, especially in the light of lo- of losing Travel Bear, the right side of the O line in particular. Number 53 is the worst I've ever seen at a Power 5 level. Was this a misevaluation of talent, poor position coaching, lack of strength and conditioning, lack of effort, or all of the above? Is this the best Baylor can put on the field as a starting unit? Okay, again, on and on. The future is very dim. Someone has to have a better footwork, strength, quickness, blah, 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 protect the edge. Okay. Yeah, I mean, did you watch the first game of the year when they were starting Tate Williams at right tackle? I think that tells you all you need to know about why they have to play Campbell Barrington at right tackle. And I know it hasn't been pretty, especially against Tech. It, it was really bad, but he still is, I think, likely their best option at right tackle. And, yes, you can argue, wow, that's terrible. That's why I said and why we talked about they should have taken more offensive linemen in the transfer portal this year for circumstances like this. So you could play Campbell at guard instead or move, move Clark to guard or something. But, yeah, I mean, it's very troubling. They don't have anyone else, but but I would just say he probably is their best their best option there and I don't know that they have any other even capable options on the roster to play right tackle and travel not trying to be disrespectful with the blah 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 but got got the point and just trying to get through these questions here and um and you made your point that uh it was not good on Saturday night but yeah I guess it's the only option they have so this time they promise that they'll go attack the transfer portal and grab all the offensive linemen they need Bears 224 wide zone offense has been extremely so extremely boring in my opinion and has not currently had success has currently not had been successful in any sort of metric the past two years. Do you believe that in the wide zone offense anymore? Even in 2021, it was still boring, but we had borderline NFL backs, insane O-line, complimentary defense. I just can't see how this scheme works for us anymore if we can't produce elite O-line every year. Thanks for everything. Thank you, Bears 224. Yeah, I mean, I think you hit on if they don't have a really good offensive line, this offense is going to be really boring, and the offensive line hasn't been It's so been good. boring, dude. It's so boring. Well, see, and it, it, at times it's fun because you 
you get those really cool play designs that Jeff Grimes has. The problem is, is consistently down by down. It just it it's like pulling teeth, like you said. Yeah. And every drive, when you're having to go, you know, twelve plays, you're going to have to convert two fourth downs and a third down. Like that is just a really tough brand of football to be able to score a lot of points, and, and it's been challenging the last two years. And even when they've had games where they've scored, it still at times feels like it's let you down. Yeah, three points in the first half against Texas Tech ain't going to cut it. No. But, you know, that's, like, become commonplace now. So, yeah, I mean, the scheme is fun when it works. But, like, anything else, it's fun when it works. But when it doesn't, Like, it's watch not. the Dolphins and the Niners, who both run wide zone. How fun that is. But right now, but they have elite offensive lines and elite talent on the outsides and good, you know, elite quarterbacks. It's just, it's tough if you don't have all the pieces. All right, let's start to wrap this up here. Golden Green, why is it taking over a month for our nose tackles to get into game shape? I mean, we have to remember they had very serious injuries and were out for months, so it takes time. I think Baylor was cautious with them, which I understand. Hopefully, like, they should both be back after the bye. They should. That's my expectation. Why hasn't Alfonso Allen received any meaningful snaps on defense? Because he's not better than the safeties that are playing in front of him, which, again, is very challenging to watch. How is Josh Cameron our best option at punt returner? Because he catches they the football force punts? on the punts. Yeah. yeah, I mean, but he's a good return man when it comes to actually fielding them and not making bad decisions when catching them. I know he had one drop, but he's been stable there. But, yeah, I know he hasn't been electric. I wish they had neighbors back there, but they don't as much as they should. Thank you, Golden Green. Bear on Glade. Is Keytron Jackson a bust? Shaping his thrown for over 600 yards the past two games, and Jackson has totaled exactly 12 of them. He's not getting double teamed, and even if you say he's drawing the best corner of every team, it's not like he's facing first-rounders on the other side. I will say, I don't know all the details, the ins and outs of Keytron Jackson. I don't want to like single him out or anything, but the thing that is noticeable to me is they try to make him a number one receiver and throw the ball up and let him make a play, but he, does, he, does, he doesn't make the play more often than not. It gets batted away, or he gets out physical, or he just can't come up with the catch. And it's like, they need a guy to jump up and grab the dadgum football out of the air and make a tough catch and bring it down. It's, it's, and, and I know that's so much easier said than done, but like that's what he's there for to do, is to make those, those plays. And he's just either not physical enough, or angry enough, or... Good enough. I don't. I, I don't know to to jump up and rip the ball away from a defender. He's not old enough yet to be able to do that on a consistent basis. Whatever you want to point it to, it's not like a personal criticism. But they've clearly tried to make him that guy, and he just hasn't been able to execute it. Nor has any other receiver, for that matter, often enough to where you have faith. Because when the ball goes thrown up down the field, if it's not Monterey ball, and I'm like, all right, that's low percentage and maybe they come up with it but more often than not they 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 don't yeah he's had problems in press he's had trouble getting off the line I think that's been his biggest problem I understand what you're saying the one-on-one shots he's come down with quite a few but you're right the contested ones where it's like you just got to make a play a lot of times haven't happened and it hasn't happened with Hal Presley either you were expecting both of them to you know make a huge difference take a jump there I still do think that there's going to be better days for Keytron ahead as he gets more of a rapport with Blake Shapen. I think we're seeing that, right? Like Shapen, basically him and Monterey are just on the same page all the time. Whereas when Sora Robertson was the quarterback, it was a lot more Keytron. And so I do think that that's where you're seeing the shift. But ultimately, I think Baylor's going to have to throw the ball a ton in order to win football games. And that means they're going to have to throw the ball at Keytron Jackson. And I do expect him to be a lot better. I think he's a good player. I think him, Monterey, Howe should give them enough options to score some points. Should. 
Should, um, but that's still very much a work in progress, and he's just a junior, so he has time to grow. But, yeah, just uh, not quite what you you hoped for at the best-case scenario as far as jumping up and being a guy who's just going to, you know, take the ball out of the air and make the huge plays for you. It's just been few and far between as far as that goes, but maybe in time. Uh, Big Cheese 83, close it out. Is it a 100% possibility we're getting either Trey Johnson or VJ Edgecombe? I know Trey was a top player in the country, but I had no idea VJ was number six in his class as well. I feel really good that they're going to get one of them. I, I don't know if I'd Can say you explain 100%. who these people are. Yeah, they're both basketball recruits. Trey Johnson's number five in the class. VJ Edgecombe is number six in the class. Both have visited in the last month uh, for different football games. Trey for the Texas game. VJ for uh, the Texas Tech game. Trey is pretty much between Texas and Baylor. VJ has some other options, but I do think Baylor is kind of near the top of his list, especially after this visit. But you probably can't take both. They, they're kind of duplicative. All right, so a little basketball, a little basketball note there at the end is that's again just a little less than a month away. Scott Drew and company, a top twenty-five team, and and big expectations for them, and obviously some big news uh, bubbling up potentially on the recruiting trail. At least they're in the mix for some big time prospects. So, thank you, Big Cheese, for closing it on out. Uh, for us in the mailbag this week a lot of concern obviously everybody though gets to take a deep breath this weekend which I think will be a positive and everybody can kind of reset and refocus and uh, we'll see what you know Dave Aranda has to say when he takes the podium next Monday I think that's the frustrating part as well as people are like wanting answers and he can't really provide them and they're in the middle of a season and nothing's a quick fix and you know it's just a boring brand of football sometimes or just frustrating um, because it's not at its peak of what it can be. And you know what? You just you keep piling up losses and bad losses like Saturday night where you're just not even all that competitive with a team that you're comparable to. And um, it's just it's hard to keep every week just reset the energy meter and this time's going to be different. And, you know, like they've yeah. got six more opportunities for that. Um, but you can only really go up from here, that's for sure, uh, based on just sort of where everything feels like it is at the moment. Um, so, all right, uh, anything before we get into, I guess, some predictions or something here uh, to close it on out, but uh, anything before we do that? No, nothing really. Just be sure to check out 365 during the bye week and, of course, 365 Sports as well, Monday through Friday. I know you all got lots of college football still going on. There are other programs having better seasons so far than Baylor that I'm sure you all have talked about quite a bit there. Uh, yeah, I mean, we're talking about all that's going on in college football, and we're mixing them in where it is, but like it just gets depressing after a while because the other stuff's a lot more fun to talk about. Even other teams' struggles, you can at least see like a little bit of writing on the wall or something, and uh, with this one, it's just it feels like Groundhog Day. Um, that's, yeah. that's the part where I keep circling back to what I said earlier of like, I agree with you on Aranda and you know, giving him time and won a title a couple of years ago and, and all that jazz. But, like, man, I just – I show up there on Saturday night. I don't know that everybody who comments is even there on Saturday nights and know what's that's, that, what really what that crowd was like and how, how apathetic it was. Um, and by the end of it, how empty that stadium was. And I know people lived through the 90s and worse times and everything like that, but it's just – just one of those deals where we're going on a pretty long stretch now of just really, like, just mediocre at best – and when you do that week after week after week, and it's just not changing, and it's just there, 
Uh, I get, like, that's just part of the deal sometimes. But, again, I just feel like you have to give people something to chew on every once in a while to keep them invested and, and energized. And uh, hopefully they have something up their sleeve or some better performances in this second half. So uh, that's where we'll leave it until uh get geared up for another game week. But let's get in, I guess, to some Big 12 predictions here. All right, let's quickly go through these. West Virginia takes on Houston on Thursday night. West Virginia is a two-and-a-half-point favorite. Over-under is 51-and-a-half. I don't think Houston's very good. Uh, give me West Virginia. I don't know how great that they are in the grand scheme of things either. I still have major questions about their offense, but they haven't needed their offense to be great. They've got good defense. And they make just enough plays, and, and I think they'll continue to do that. This would be a great win for Houston, but uh, I just don't think they're very good, so give me West Virginia. Yeah, defense in a running game travels. West Virginia is going to be 5-1, and one, in my opinion, after that game against Houston. Next up, Iowa State travels to Cincinnati. Cincinnati is a five-point favorite over under 46 points. God, I have no idea. I mean, this is just a weird game. Um, Cincinnati's five-and-a-half-point favorite. Five-point, yeah. I have no idea. On the, I have no idea on this game. Um, give me uh, Iowa State, I guess. Maybe they're starting to kind of turn the corner a little bit with their win last week. But, I, yeah, this one, I... Whatever. <laughs> I, yeah, I think both these teams are bad. I'm just going to go off of what we've seen so far, which is the new teams have struggled against right. the old team. So I'm going to take Iowa State in this game and what I do think will be a close game. I mean, let's face the Big 12. Everybody's just mid. I mean, like except for, the, for, OU, except and for OU and Texas. Yeah. But everybody else, it's like just whatever. Flip a coin. They're all right. pretty much the same thing. Yeah. Next up, Kansas travels to Oklahoma State. Kansas is a three and a half point favorite over under 57. Oklahoma State with an out-of-nowhere win. Uh, Good for Mike Gundy. Uh, He doesn't lose at home, so I guess give me Oklahoma State, even though I think Kansas is the better team. But I don't know, just something about them winning last week. I I guess give me the Cowboys as they're going to start to turn the corner a little bit. But, yeah, another game where I'm like, I have no idea, but I guess give me the Pokes because of their success at home. Yeah, they don't lose at home except for 33-7 to South Alabama. But, yes, I'm going to take Oklahoma State if Jalen Daniels doesn't play. Um, But this should be a good game. Oklahoma State turned the corner a little bit. Next up, BYU travels to TCU. TCU a five-point favorite. Over-under is 53 points. Man, TCU's been way worse than I thought that they would be. Um, I'll still take them over BYU because of the whole learning curve thing and all of that. That ought to be interesting, though. They're going to have to play tough. Uh, BYU come and hit them in the mouth. But, yeah, give me TCU at home to bounce back after a very disappointing loss. But, uh, yeah, Chandler Morris is out for a good number of weeks, so that's going to play into this game. But... I think they'll just make a couple of more plays. Yeah, I'll take TCU, but I, I, I just think BYU's not as good as their record says. Next up, Kansas State travels to Texas Tech. Tech is a one-point favorite over under 56.5. K-State last week. I mean, what's going on with them? Um, Texas Tech Saturday night. It seems like it'll be a big game for them. This seems like kind of one of their will they, will they, won't they make a bowl game? Kind of depends on this type of a game. I have to believe Kansas State bounces back. I don't know, but that was an awful showing last weekend, and so I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt here. But if they lose to Tech and that's a second straight loss, that'd be a little bit concerning. But, yeah, give me K-State in a close one. Yeah, give me K-State in a bounce-back spot and a Tech letdown spot. So I'll take the Wildcats here. Should be a good game, though. It's going to be tough in Lubbock, but I think K-State will be ready after their trip to Stillwater this past weekend. All right, is that's that it? it? Yeah, okay. that's all of them. Yeah, so Baylor's uh, got a break, I guess. UCF's got a break, and who else does that make? Texas and Oklahoma? Yeah. Yeah, they have a break as well after Red River. What a classic that was. That was the, the best of the Big 12 right there, for sure, at least through the, the midway point. Um, but, yeah, just a, a few interesting games there that all could go either way, for sure. Um, should be another uh, compelling week in the conference race as um, – 
teams try to sort themselves out. But again, they all seem to kind of be on a lot of the same level for the most part. So, all right, uh, that'll do it for us. Uh, No game, obviously, this weekend. Everybody catch their breath, kind of retool and... We'll be back next Tuesday to start to preview the second half of the season, and that will be a trip to Cincinnati to start things off with. Grayson, anything before we go here? Nope, that's pretty much it. Excited to talk more football, hopefully after a productive bye week. Yes, a lot of work to be done. Uh, Hopefully they catch their breath, lick their wounds, and and figure some things out during this bye week um, and come back strong for a, a, a good second half. At least that's what we're all hoping for. But until then, appreciate everybody for listening whenever you do, however you do, and also appreciate those with questions in the mailbag for uh, interacting with us as well. For Garrett Ross and for Grayson Grunhafer, I'm Craig Smoke, and this has been another edition of the BearCast on Sikkim365.com.